So now let's start the Dhamma talk with the Namotasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa. Tonight I will talk about Sati or mindfulness. What is Sati? What does that mean? So, I will try to say what sati means in the context of the Buddha's teaching and also in the context of vipassana meditation. In the context of vipassana meditation, sati, mindfulness, is one of the many factors we need to develop. Venerable Viranyani has mentioned some of these other factors or qualities that we need to cultivate along with mindfulness. Factors such as sata, faith, or virya, energy, effort, or also kanti, patience, tolerance. We also need to develop panya, insight, understanding wisdom, and also samadhi, one-pointedness of mind, or concentration. So sati, mindfulness, is one of these qualities, but it is a very basic one, and also a very, very important one. And Munindra, this teacher we have already mentioned several times, he said, when mindfulness is there, all the beautiful qualities are nearby. And as to the role of being very uh, important, Sayado Uindaka has used another illustration. In his book on the Bojangas, the seven factors of enlightenment, he says that sati, mindfulness, is like a surgeon. So if a patient uh, needs surgery, so without the surgeon, the surgery cannot take place. Even if all the other assisting assistant doctors, the nurses, or and uh, anesthetists are present, when the surgeon is missing, then the surgery cannot take place. 
when the Buddha was teaching to a group of monks or to lay people, often he grouped certain mental factors into distinctive groups. And that was also to more easily remember them. Because as we have already said, at the time of the Buddha, this teaching were not written down. All was transmitted orally. So to put mental factors into groups makes them more easily, uh, we can more easily memorize them. And so you might have heard, you know, there are the groups of four, and then the five so-and-so, the seven of this, the nine of that, and so many different groups. And especially for beginners, this can be a bit confusing, mixing them all up, or simply becoming too much. Just for your general knowledge, so Sati is one of the Bojangas, the factors of enlightenment. Sati is also one of the mental faculties. Sati is one of the mental powers. And Sati is also a factor of the Noble Eightfold Path. At the time of the Buddha, there was a monk who was very distressed because he could not memorize all these different groups of seven or nine of these. And moreover, he could not memorize the 227 rules he had to follow as a bhikkhu, a monk. So he was very distressed and he was on the verge of disrobing. The Buddha heard of him and knowing or hearing in what a state he was, he went to, the, to him and asked if that was true, that he wanted to disrobe. And the monk said, yes, you know, I cannot memorize all these different things, so there is no use of me being a bhikkhu, a monk. And the Buddha then very kindly asked, well, can you remember just one thing? And the monk said, yes, one thing I can remember. And so then the Buddha said, this one thing is be mindful. Mindfulness here in the West has become mainstream. Nowadays, almost everybody talks about mindfulness. And there are many courses for mindfulness, classes for mindfulness, many articles on mindfulness, studies done on mindfulness. I googled the word mindfulness and guess how many entries did I get? 
630. So you might have heard of MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. There is also MBCT, Mindfulness-Based Cognitive Therapy. There is something called MBRP, Mindfulness-Based Relapse Prevention. There are courses for um, mindfulness in cleaning, cleaning a house, mindfulness for cleaners. And somebody who attended a retreat in Switzerland some years ago, uh, in talking to her, she then told me that for a living she cleans uh, people's houses. And she told me that she had done um, a mindfulness course for cleaning houses. There are many online courses in mindfulness and only or the entry mindfulness training that googling that online that gave me almost 4 million entries. <laughs> there are classes for urban mindfulness, of course, mindfulness to manage stress. And how mindfulness, achtsamkeit in German, has entered mainstream. A friend of mine recently sent me a PDF file of cartoons in a big Swiss newspaper, one of the biggest newspapers uh, in Zurich. So they have a cartoon every day since many years, always to different themes or political events. And recently there was a series of cartoons uh, regarding achtsamkeit, mindfulness. So what is mindfulness in the context of the Buddha's teaching? So if you want to understand what mindfulness is, it is helpful that we first differentiate it from samadhi concentration. So, to become very clear what sati is not. Samadhi, as we have already heard, means concentration, one-pointedness of mind, also translated as tranquility or calm. And strong forms of concentration lead to absorption, to the jhanas. So when the mind has attained strong forms of samadhi, then this strong form of samadhi concentration cuts out everything else, or the mind is completely absorbed in the object in the case of jhana. And so the result is this calm, 
tranquility, blissful state of mind. And samadhi can be compared like the flame of a candle in a completely windstill room where all the windows and doors are closed. So the flame does not move, does not flicker, completely still. Of course, that's a very nice state of mind, but because it is so nice, so blissful, so peaceful, one can get very easily uh, seduced. One can get very easily attached to this deep state of concentration. And as I have also pointed out in the talk uh, explaining jhanas in the context of metta meditation, one can use the jhanas to escape a restless mind or as an escape to uh, from problems, from big challenges in one's life, as an escape from worries and fear. So samadhi in itself does not lead to wisdom. It does not lead to insight into the true nature of all phenomena. And even the deepest states of concentration, even in the absorptions, these are still mundane states. Samadhi can suppress the defilements temporarily, but Samadhi cannot uproot the defilements. To give you an example, Ajahn Mahabhuva was a Thai monk and apparently he had mastered these jhanas. He was an expert in uh, the jhanas. He said regarding his experience with the jhanas, the samadhi, and how he he got stuck there. He said, I was so skilled in my samadhi that the mind was as unshakable as slab of rock. Soon I became addicted to the total peace and tranquility of that samadhi state. So much so that my meditation practice remained stuck for five full years. The Buddha's instructions on how to practice Vipassana meditation are found in the discourse called the Satipatthana Sutta, translated as the four foundation, sorry, the foundations 
of mindfulness. Some call it the foundations of mindfulness. Some others translate it as fields of awareness. Others talk of abidings of mindfulness. So, however we call, want to call them, and for just easy reference, I call them the foundations of mindfulness, and you may bear in mind that it could be establishments or fields of aware of mindfulness. And what these four foundations are, I will come back to that later on in the talk. So in this discourse, the foundations of mindfulness, there is one sentence that has always confused me. I never knew what to make of it, how to understand it. And it's this phrase, to set up mindfulness before oneself. Or it has also been translated, and uh, Bhikkhu, a yogi, establishes mindfulness in front of him. What does this mean, to establish mindfulness in front of myself? Is it 30 centimeters in front of myself? Is it one meter in front of myself? Or is it just one millimeter away from the tip of my nose? (laughs) It was only much later, when I was in Burma, and when I had learned Burmese, that this expression uh, made sense to me. Because the Burmese way of rendering it, and I have heard it many, 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 many times, is with a mind led by mindfulness. So a mind that is led by mindfulness. Mindfulness is kind of the leader, but there are other factors there. So now we will try to capture the meaning of sati. At the time of the Buddha, sati basically meant to remember. To remember in the sense to remember something from the past, like to remember what you had eaten for lunch, or to remember where you were last month, or to remember what you did 30 years ago. But the the Buddha gave it a slightly different meaning. He took that word, which was prevalent, and so... In his meaning, it was more to remember to be present or mindfulness as to be aware of the presently arising phenomena in body and mind.
because Buddhism was established in Burma many, many, many centuries ago. So many words from the Pali language have found their way into the Burmese language. And Sati is one of them. But when this Pali word Sati is translated into real Burmese words, then uh, it is non-forgetfulness, so not to forget. And, you know, remember to be present. So not to forget to be present. So trying to capture the meaning of sati or mindfulness, it's not so easy. And also different teachers have different ways of explaining what sati, mindfulness is, give different explanations, different definitions. And so I have chosen some of these many different explanations or definitions, especially I've chosen those that apply to our practice, our meditation practice. And with each of these definitions or explanations, I want to highlight one aspect of sati. I will begin with Monindra. He said, because of its chief characteristic is not floating away, sati stays with an object. So to stay with the object is one aspect of sati. And I'd like to read another quotation from Munindra explaining that sati is not somehow a mystical state, but explaining that sati is actually a very mundane state and it can be practiced, applied by anyone. So he said, Everything is meditation in this practice, even while eating, drinking, dressing, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, or thinking. Whatever you are doing, everything should be done mindfully, dynamically, with totality, with completeness and thoroughness. Then it becomes meditation, it becomes meaningful, purposeful. It is not thinking, but experiencing from moment to moment, living from moment to moment, without clinging, without condemning, without judging, without evaluation, without comparing, without selecting, or without criticizing. 
then a definition given by Bhikkhu Bodhi, this American monk who is a great scholar who has translated uh, many of the discourses of the Buddha, like all the long discourses, the middle-length discourses, the Samyutta Nikaya, and soon the Anguttara Nikaya also. No, that is already out too. <laughs> anyway, he said, the word sati derives from a root meaning to remember. But as a mental factor, it signifies presence of mind, attentiveness to the present, rather than the faculty of memory regarding the past. <coughs> Again, stressing this presence of mind. Then, Buddhadasa Bhikkhu was a very well-known and famous monk in Thailand. He passed away 20 years ago. He said, Sati is the vehicle for Panya, wisdom. Without Sati, wisdom cannot be developed. So Sati is instrumental in the development of wisdom. And then we have a quote from Achan Li Damadaro, also a Thai monk. He died in 1961. He said, Everyone has some degree of mindfulness. The ordinary busyness of life, driving a car, baking bread, and so on, requires that we are mindful or attentive to the present moment to some extent. But this usually alternates each minute with long lapses of forgetfulness. A person who has no mindfulness at all is mad, completely scattered and out of contact. And imagine that was 53 years ago, he said that if you would see today's world... (laughs) Then S.N. Goenka, another very famous teacher teaching Vipassana meditation, he passed away only last year. So he said, Sati means awareness, the witnessing of every reality pertaining to mind and matter. So, every reality, every phenomenon needs to be witnessed with mindfulness. Then, a quote from Bhante Gunaratna, a monk from Sri Lanka, having his monastery in the USA. He says, 
Sati reflects only what is presently happening and exactly the way it is happening. There are no biases. Mindfulness is non-judgmental observation. Very simple and straightforward. Non-judgmental observation. Then Joseph Goldstein, famous American Vipassana meditation teacher, he said, Mindfulness is that quality of attention which notices without choosing, without preference. It is a choiceless awareness that, like the sun, shines on all things equally. So here he highlights that mindfulness does not choose the object and using the word choiceless awareness. So in the sense of that we do not choose which object we want to observe but that the most distinct experience or object is the object or becomes the object for our meditation. And Jack Cornfield is another well-known American meditation teacher. He said, In the development of wisdom, one quality of mind above all others is the key to practice. This quality is mindfulness, highlighting the importance of mindfulness in this whole process of developing wisdom. And the last quote is from Mahasi Siara, who passed away in 19. 82. So he says, what can be achieved through mindfulness? He said, through concentrated mindfulness, the yogi knows how to distinguish each bodily and mental process. The rising movement is one process. The knowing of it is another. The yogi knows the falling process is one process. The knowing of it is another. The yogi realizes that each act of knowing has the nature of going toward an object. And to come to this understanding there needs to be mindfulness or as Mahasi Sayadaw has said concentrated mindfulness meaning that there must be mindfulness and a certain degree of concentration so after uh, hearing all these different 
definitions and explanations on mindfulness. I'll give you a summary. So mindfulness is a key quality of the mind in developing wisdom. Or it's the vehicle for panya, wisdom. Without sati, wisdom cannot be developed. With mindfulness, we are not choosing the object. It's without preference. It's a choiceless awareness. And it's a non-judgmental observation. Everybody has some degree of mindfulness, but we need to develop it. It's like a natural capacity that we have all, but that needs strengthening. Mindfulness is the witnessing of every reality, every phenomenon in body and mind. And mindfulness can be understood as presence of mind or attentiveness to the present moment. Another way of looking at sati, trying to understand is to understand it is to read the definitions regarding the characteristic of mindfulness, its function, its manifestation, and its proximate cause. So, the characteristic of sati is, it has the characteristic of not wobbling, that is, not floating away from the object. And Venerable Viranyani mentioned this last night in her talk, saying that this was like a stone thrown into the water. And then the stone naturally sinks to the bottom of, let's say, the pond and simply rests there, does not move, does not wobble anymore. A mind without mindfulness is like throwing a dried pumpkin into this pond. But the dried pumpkin will not sink to the ground, but it will stay on the surface of the water. And when there are ripples uh, on the water, the pumpkin wobbles. If there's a breeze or the wind is blowing, then it moves and floats over here and floats over there. So floating away. Saido Upandita, he uh, often talks of mindfulness as plunging into the object. So really to plunge inside. Then the function of mindfulness It says, its function is absence of confusion or non-forgetfulness. 
So not to forget to be present and alert to what is happening right now in body and mind. To take a worldly example, like a tennis player, famous one like Roger Federer, um, he always needs to be very alert and present to where the tennis ball is so that he can go and run and hit it. If he is forgetful to look where the tennis ball is, where it uh, goes, if he looks uh, to his fans over there and, ah, this one I know, and uh, so then he will miss the tennis ball. So, he always needs to keep the tennis ball inside, not losing it out of sight. And so not losing the tennis ball out of sight or coming back to the meditation, not losing the meditation object out of sight means we are face to face with it. And this being face to face with the object is needed to see more clearly what the object is like, the texture of the object, the experience, what is it really. So we need to be face to face, only then can we see it clearly. If we forget and look over there and look over there, we cannot very clearly see and explore this object. Then the manifestation of mindfulness, it is that it is manifested as guardianship. So, or we could call it protection. It guards us, it protects us from the kilesas, from the defilements. So it's like a protection from the attacks of the defilements. So it can prevent the defilements from arising when we are mindful, or if the defilements have already arisen, then maybe they can get caught early on before they become really strong and um, pull us uh, inside the story, the emotion or whatever it is. So if we can catch them early on when they arise, then it's like uh, catching a bushfire in its early stage then it's easy to extinguish this bushfire. But once it's blazing forth, then it's very difficult to extinguish. And in regard to the proximate cause, it said its proximate cause are the four foundations of mindfulness. And what these form foundations are, I will say in a minute. So simply 
having these foundations happening or there, these experiences that um, is approximate cause for mindfulness to arise. So as you can see from all the different quotes of explanations, descriptions, from this explanation in regard to characteristics and so on, it's not so easy to describe what mindfulness is or how uh, it functions because there are so many different nuances, so so many different aspects to it. But actually, it's very easy to know what mindfulness, mindfulness is when we practice it, when we have the uh, practical experience of being mindful, and when we can distinguish it to the times when we are not mindful. So, in this distinction, we get to understand better what it is than we know for ourselves. I find it's a little bit like trying to describe what an orange looks like and tastes like to somebody who has never seen or eaten an orange. So I could give very detailed explanation how it looks like the skin and when one peels it or cuts it in half, how that looks inside and uh, how the taste is and the color and the texture and so on. So my very detailed explanation of an orange to somebody who has never seen one is just some words and depending on his uh, experiences in life and um, what he or she has been exposed to in regards to food or fruit then this person comes up with his or her own own idea of what an orange must look like or taste like and probably it's never exactly what an orange looks like or is like but when this person would be given an orange then immediately the person would know ah it looks like this and then cutting it or peeling it and eating it ah it tastes like this, very clear. So the personal experience makes it all of a sudden clear. Then no more words or explanations are needed. As I said yesterday morning in the instructions to, uh, to how we have to practice Vipassana meditation, 
And also Venerable Viranyani uh, mentioned it again last night in her talk. We need to be mindful of everything, like of every, of all the experiences that are happening in our body, heart and mind. No experience is outside the range of our practice or our mindfulness. The totality of our experience can be divided into different groups. And the Buddha made four groups and he called these groups Satipatthana, foundations of mindfulness or establishments of mindfulness. And as you know, and as I've said in this discourse on the foundations of mindfulness, four foundations of mindfulness are mentioned. There is Kayanupasana Satipatthana, mindfulness of bodily or physical phenomena, then Vedana Nupasana Satipatthana, mindfulness of Vedanas, feeling tones, then Chitta Nupasana Satipatthana, mindfulness of mind states, and the fourth one is Dhamma Nupasana Satipatthana, mindfulness of Dhamma or mind objects. The Buddha had devised this system of the four groups, foundations of mindfulness, in order to train the mind. And very specifically, to train the mind in such a way that we can very clearly see the nature of our body, physical phenomena, the nature of our feeling tones, Vedana, the nature of our mind states, and the nature of dhammas, of mind objects. So in other words, we can say to see with a microscopic precision the true nature of all phenomena. And to see the true nature of everything we can experience, we need a mindfulness that is continuous, sustained mindfulness. Mindfulness for longer and longer periods of time. So mindfulness needs to be unbroken and continuous. Only then will we be able to see with more precision what is actually happening. And so for my mindfulness needs to become strong. It needs to we need to build up its momentum. And this can be compared to uh, boil some water in a pot. 
when you put this pot of water on the stove and turn it on for a while, but then turn it off again, and then turn it on again a little bit, turn it off again. So in this way, the water will never come to a boil. And it's likewise with mindfulness. When we are mindfulness here a little bit, but then slip into forgetfulness, then have a few moments of mindfulness again, but then again, mindfulness is lost. So then we never have the strength of mindfulness that is required to to see more clearly what is happening. So, as we have said, mindfulness is one of the many factors that we need in order to develop wisdom. But the very basic one, when mindfulness is present, then other factors can come and also be developed. And, of course, we also need samadhi, a certain degree of concentration, a one-pointed mind. And when mindfulness and samadhi gain in strength and depth, the mind becomes like a magnifying glass or even like a microscope. So then we can see much more clearly what is happening in the body or in the mind. Things are like getting bigger and so we can detect more details. We see more the texture, the true nature of this object or experience. So I like this expression with a microscopic precision to see more clearly. To give you just two examples of how mindfulness paired with samadhi and other factors as well then becomes like a magnifying glass. For example, to observe movement. We do that while observing rising and falling of the abdomen. We do that in the walking meditation as we observe the movement of the foot, the lifting, the pushing, and so on. We observe many movements in general activities, stretching out the arm, bending the arm, lifting the arm, the chewing movement, turning the head, and so on. And so, you know, To observe movement, first of all, we just notice it as, you know, something that moves from, let's say, A to B. So this is a movement, it's kind of one smooth movement that is happening, displacing the hand from here to there. But with the slowing down and the stronger mindfulness and concentration, then as we observe this movement, are present with this movement, then the movement is no longer, let's say, so smooth. It becomes maybe a bit rugged or a bit jerky. And later on in the practice, then 
actually it feels like there are separate broken movements that make this movement from A to B. And again, later on with deeper uh, concentration, stronger mindfulness, and so like looking through a microscope, then it becomes very clear that this movement from A to B is just a succession of very many tiny little movements, separate movements, happening one one after the other with great speed. So this is, you know, one way of seeing that understanding movement. So movement is something else that we commonly think. So we get away from our conceptual idea of what movement is to a deep understanding what the nature of movement actually is like. Or another example is with the observation of pain. And in regard to pain, there it is really important that we stay face to face with the pain, like this, um, the function of mindfulness, to keep the object inside, to really face it. But pain, something unpleasant and painful, we normally don't want to look it into the face. (laughs) We want to look away from it, we want to run away from it. You know, we don't have the inclination to go there and look at it. But that's exactly needed in order to understand it. And this is why people uh, do not really understand what pain is. It's just this, already the word pain, you know, makes one, oh, (laughs) pushing it away. And so there's no possibility to really see and know the nature of pain. So, with mindfulness, we are face to face with the pain, look at it, go into it with our mind, really feel it, see the unpleasantness of it, and then see that pain is not just pain, pain is a concept, a word. The experience of pain is, you know, burning or stabbing or throbbing or like being poked with needles. So it has a very distinct texture. So we come to see that. And first of all, it might see there is just this junk of pain in the knee or in the back. But as we look at it, feel it, go into it, we come to see it's not just this junk, this solid thing of pain, but you know it becomes a bit porous, and we notice maybe it becomes bigger, it expands, or a pain kind of just gets smaller, smaller into one very small thing of pain that is excruciatingly painful, or we see the pain moving from here to there down the leg a bit. So we come to see our pain is not this solid chunk of pain that is just stationary, unchanging. 
So we see the changes in intensity. And with deeper concentration, stronger mindfulness, then it's like becoming more porous and it's like this little little bits of painful sensations. Like within the area where we feel pain, there is a little painful arising here and then another little painful arising here and one there and one there. So it's fluctuating. And later on with deeper practice, we can distinguish very distinct and separate moments of painful sensations that arise and immediately disappear and another moment of painful sensation arises, immediately disappears. So it's like these bubbles constantly arising, passing away. So this is a completely different notion of pain than just the ordinary idea of what pain is. So all the beautiful factors led by mindfulness can lead to such a precise and detailed understanding. So as I said at the outset, mindfulness in the context of the Buddha's teaching is for gaining insight, understanding, for developing wisdom, to see things as they truly are. Mindfulness, as the Buddha taught it, is not for simply being mindful and, you know, mindfulness as a goal in itself. It's not just to be less stressed out in life. It's not just to relax and lead uh, an easy life, to be easygoing. If we just use it for this, then we become what is called a Californian yogi. Now I want to highlight one more thing. As we know, the first foundation of mindfulness is kaya nupasana satipatthana. Satipatthana, this means foundations of mindfulness. Kaya nupasana is a compound word, kaya and pasana usually translated as contemplation of the body. Kaya, body, materiality. And then we have Anupasana. Anu and Pasana. Pasana means seeing, viewing. And Anu um, This prefix suggests repetition, that something is 
repetitive. And so, kaya nupasana can be translated is as the repeated seeing or observation of the body. And in the case of the other foundations of mindfulness, the repeated seeing or uh, observation of Vedanas, feeling tones, mental states, or mental objects. And so if we apply this understanding of mindfulness to all the four foundations of mindfulness, then we can see sati as is described by Bhikkhu Bodhi. He says, Sati is part of a process that involves a close, repetitive observation of the object. And this is what we are doing in our uh, meditation practice. We observe, for example, the rising and falling again and again. And it should always be a very close observation. So, Toby, enough words around mindfulness. The Buddha was a pragmatic. He was never really interested in setting up a philosophical system or to set up a nice theory. He just wanted other people, other beings, to become free from dukkha, that is, to become free from all forms of suffering. And he wanted all people, all beings, to attain that unshakable peace he had attained. So I want to close this talk with a quote from Mahasi Sayadaw. And this quote highlights the power and role of mindfulness in the whole process of purification. And after the quote, we'll sit still for a few moments. Every moment of mindfulness is a gradual destruction of the defilements. It is somewhat like cutting away wood with a small axe, every stroke helping to get rid of a small piece of the unwanted wood. I thank you for your kind attention.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.